Welcome to Q&A, Quincy and Ahmed show. And this one is actually a special one um, prior to the first show. And Quincy can explain why that is. So we wanted to have a show in which we speak with one of the upcoming political voices of St. Martin, talking about the importance of the 1st of July and talking about decolonization and um, the ways in which the kingdom functions when thinking about um, the afterlives of slavery and decolonization. The Dutch uh, kingdom, so, that is. The Dutch kingdom, yes. definitely, yes. yeah. And so today we'll be talking to uh, Solange Ludmila Duncan. Um, and that's why we were like, hey, we need to have this as a special episode um, to make you understand where exactly the show is going to go in the future. Exactly. And then we'll start first with the, the segments that we have. And the first one is analog, which is things that happen offline. And um, yeah, can you start, Quincy? With your analog so the analog thing for me that has happened at the moment is that um, I have or will be giving this speech for the Amersfoort Kitty Kotti commemoration. So Kitty Kotti for the English uh, language listeners outside, outside of the Kingdom of the Netherlands is the day that we commemorate the abolition of slavery within the kingdom. And I have been invited to give a speech for one of the local commemorations. Oh, that's amazing. Congrats. Thank you, yeah. thank you. Oh. Yeah. Uh, for me, it is, I got my first shot of the vaccine. Oh. Um, yeah, so that's something that I am uh, happy about. And I am looking forward to getting my second shot because, yeah, the, with all the variants coming up, I want to be fully vaccinated. And speaking of that, the reason why my voice might sound a bit muffled is because I'm mm. wearing a face mask. And the reason why I'm wearing it is because I'm in a room with two other people. And even though since yesterday, the Dutch government decided that you know, we don't need to wear a mask indoor anymore, which is very dangerous and not, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's terrible, but so, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm following the guidelines of healthcare professionals, which is something that our government should have, should be doing as well, but unfortunately they're not. And uh, what is your quotidian news? Um, so, uh, so my news quotidian with everyday potential. Yes, so yeah. mine for me is this uh, Instagram page called Bonaire Human Rights, and it's an Instagram page uh, where, for the first time, I've learned how actually the situation is when it comes to the Netherlands and Bonaire, um, because like, like I grew up in the Netherlands, but I don't know anything when it comes to uh, like I know more about Curaçao because of uh, Quincy because of you and I'm I'm starting to find out more and more about how destructive our government still is uh, when it comes to how they uh, uh, deal with uh, the the islands or as the government calls it the uh, Netherlands Caribbean which is a terrible yeah thing I think uh, so yeah so this website really this this Instagram page really uh, taught me already a lot of things and I feel like more people like myself and other people in the Netherlands will find out more will find out how uh, really fucked up the situation is and I think that could have a bigger implication in the sense that uh, people will demand things change and will be supporting the 
the local activists and so on. So yeah, that's my quotidian, quotidian, I hate that word. And yours? Yeah, uh, for me, it's um, the fact that this year um, actually is one of the years that all over the, the Netherlands, um, Kitikoti will be commemorated and celebrated on two days. So the 30th of June and the 1st of July. Mm. Um, and this is something that there has been a group actively pushing for for at least 30 years. Um, and people like Roy Risti have been organizing events on the 30th of June for as long as I remember on Suriname Plain in Amsterdam. And now it's something that's being rolled out nationally. So um, it makes you think about you know, resistances that people do by every year simply stressing the fact that you can't celebrate and commemorate on the same day you need to have space for both and give them their rightful yeah. place and so i think that's a and is this also yeah. something related to the because i know there are also people that are pushing for it to be a national holiday is that the similar movement or is that separate from each other you know that's separate okay yeah but and i think um that might be a conversation we can get yeah, okay. into with uh uh uh, minister, uh, uh, with with member of parliament um duncan is thinking through do we need a free day or do we need reparations yeah okay so that will be a conversation that we will then have with the august um yeah. and speaking of sh uh we will start off first with the so one of the songs that our guest chose and so we asked the guests to choose a song that may mean something to them and um, let me uh, read what um, Ludmila said about this song um, before we do that yeah? we should actually also let people know a bit more okay yes. about um, parliamentarian Duncan I love to say that you know member of parliament chairperson I'm like yes yeah. so um, the, the full bio is Solange Ludmila Duncan is a young member of parliament in St. Martin before entering politics, she worked as a senior policy advisor for the Ministry of Telecommunications, Economic Affairs and Tourism. She has lived in the United States and the Netherlands before returning home to St. Martin, where she has been an advocate for community development and youth mentorship over the last decade. As an MP, her work focuses on reforms and innovations in education, cultural heritage, entrepreneurship, sustainable urban development and environmental protection. She holds a Master's of Science in, the, in Development Management from the University of Birmingham. And in October 2020, she proposed the establishment of a permanent committee for constitutional affairs and decolonization in Parliament as a response to the current constitutional crisis within the Kingdom of the Netherlands. She contends that the current decolonization movement will strengthen the identity of people in the Dutch Caribbean, fuel what she believes are long overdue dialogues and debates on the relationship between the Netherlands and their former colonies, as well as redefine what it means to be a citizen within the kingdom. Yes. So first, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Honored to be here. I, uh, I chose this song for, for my campaign videos because at first I thought coming into politics that it was only about my, my competencies, right? So I've worked in government for so long and so I know what I'm doing and you should vote for me uh, because I know what I'm doing. But then I realized, especially um, 
especially as it concerns small island politics, that at the end of the day, you have to connect to people. So you have to sit on someone's porch for three hours and listen to their issues and, and tell them that you can relate to them and whatever you're going to do, you're going to keep them in mind. And so this song, I think, kind of embodies that message that, I, you know, you're trying to solve problems, but you're really just trying to connect to people and, and, and make life better for them. So that is my connection to the song and what it means to me as an MP. That's amazing. I mean, when I when I think then as well about like the first question that we want to talk to you about is this this notion of the political versus the politics. And I think um, what you just talked about really talks about the political and not necessarily the politics. Right. Um, so what were the big ideas about society that made you want to be a politician? And what has been your experience as a politician within the system that we have on St. Martin and in the kingdom? Uh, I I see, okay, politics is one P, but if I have to think about the two P's that that I always carried with me were, were problems, and we have a plethora of problems on St. Martin, right? We're a small, vulnerable country, uh, so we have a plethora of problems, but we also have so much potential as a people. So even when I was younger, I remember thinking, okay, um, you know, the, the 70s brought in the boom of the tourism industry, right? And and we had this huge middle class. And then suddenly I saw the growth of, of poverty and I wondered why when we have all of these American dollars running, you know, running through our, our, our society. Um, but at the same time, too, I remember... Uh, in high school working on my, let's say my end of year project. And I focused on the effects of the garbage dump in the middle of Phillipsburg on the Great Salt Pond. And, you know, our mm. Great Salt Pond is what, you know, is what really kind of catapulted us and as what the Dutch used as well, right? With the, um, mm. with their trading and so forth. Um, but at the same time, no, we have not taken care of it. And so for me, I look at all of the issues that we have, but then I look at, at the potential that we have as a people. And, and I said, you know what, I feel like I have it in me to do something about this in the future. And I, I went away to study it and I came back. And so for me, it's definitely not about, you know, self-enrichment. It's about how can I solve our country's problems and how can I develop the potential of our people? Because there should be so much more happening on this small little uh, island. I, I listened to a few interviews that you did, and one of them was from 2019, before the elections. And something that really uh, struck me is the, imp the importance that you put uh, when it comes to communities and communi getting communities involved. And in, in, your, um, 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 in the interview, you even mentioned that there is this legislation that you, uh, that you wanted to push about um, getting a community council as a public body. And, yes. and, and that was something that really, really, really struck out as like uh, how community is important to you. So I was wondering, uh, first of all, yeah, the, the interview was very inspiring and the way um, that you talk about community, not just as a thing that uh, as a slogan, but like it really feels felt to me as if as something that that is really important to you. And also you gave an example of how 
um, uh, when after the hurricane that you kind of made your home as a school for children because there was no the schools were closed, which to me then also proved that you're not just talking, you actually mean what you say. So uh, first of all, shout out to you for that. And secondly, how is that going with the community? Now that you're in office, the community council as a public body, how is that going? Oh, well, thank you so much. <laughs> I uh, Yes, so it's this concept that I, I really firmly believe in, you know, moving up the ladder of participation. Uh, you know, usually governments consult, right? You, you, you tell people, hey, this is what we're going to do. What do you think about it? Not that we're going to really take your thoughts into. And, and for me, I want us to move to a level of partnership and as, as you said, indeed, after, after the hurricane, we saw that um, if we strengthen our communities, we can accomplish so much. And I think here, we're just lacking uh, strong leadership because when I, when I said in my, and this was indeed before elections, I walked around the neighborhood and I saw all of the kids playing outside. Um, I said, you know what, if you guys trust me and you, you would allow me um, to have the children at my house for a few hours, uh, while they're out of school, we can do something. And everyone was like, hey, sure, go ahead. I trust you. And um, and so I believe uh, this is a concept that can work out. Now, the research is ongoing for the legislation because that's that's going to take the longest time. So I have almost three years left in parliament. So I am hoping that at least within the next two years, I can present the legislation. My biggest hurdle will probably be financing, right? Because once we establish, this is like another layer of government and, and the councils, the bodies would need to be funded. So creating a funding model, I think will be the hardest part, but I, I hope to accomplish it within the next three years. Oh, wow, amazing. Yeah, I think that the word of partnership um, is really important as well, because a lot of times people see government as standing above the people and you're actually arguing for exactly the opposite, to be amongst the people. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy concept. But when we think about small island life, we, we we're very we're not only laid back, we're, but we're also very connected. So. Um, the fact that you can just go see your politician in the supermarket and talk to him or go to his house on a Saturday and that's considered okay, it means then that it's a model that is possible because we kind of already, you know, operate in such a manner that we're one people and we, we're more on a level, you know, as opposed to traditional hierarchies of power. Yeah, and it's yeah, that, that's I, to I totally agree. And although I've never lived on an island, I... Um, I read a book that uh, I think Quincy recommended called Aftershocks of Disaster. Um, and it's about after the hurricane in, uh, um, um, in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Yeah. And, and something that uh, in that book that um, was mentioned often was uh, the importance of like how islands, people, uh, the communities are very resilient, but it's also uh, important to not... Uh, see that resilience as a way of letting the government off the hook. So because the, the community is connected and the community is like working together, it doesn't mean that they don't need the government. And I've, and I was wondering how that is, how that has, how, the, how this has been when it comes to uh, the Dutch government and the support, because in Puerto Rico they have uh, yeah, with the United States. And I was wondering how that is with the, the Dutch government in the case of St. Martin. So we, 
we definitely have to uh, grow in our in the way in which we hold politicians accountable. Um, we we do have an issue with accountability, uh, and uh, you know there's a lot of promises that are made, you know, and 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 oftentimes the people are quite disappointed. Um, but political instability has played a huge role over the last ten years as well, in um, in progress in terms of development. Now. Because we have an accountability issue, our people, you know, don't understand how we can hold the Dutch government accountable either. I have spoken to so many people that say, yeah, but it's their money. And I'm like, yeah, but how we were a citizen in the kingdom. A, B, they have an obligation. And C, isn't it not part, isn't part of it not originally our money, right? <laughs> of the, of the, mm. the, 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 the backs of our ancestors. And so there's a huge disconnect in how our people hold politicians accountable. And that's something that we need to, to really work on. And so um, you're also the chair of the Constitutional, Constitutional and Decolonization Committee. Um, and as chair, what, what have been your priorities? Um, and what do you want to achieve during your term as chair and as politician in this regard? Yes, so the committee was established in in a few uh, about over over six months ago. I I first I wanted to create a permanent space within Parliament to discuss and dissect, uh, analyze all matters related to decolonization and and kingdom relations. There is a king in every Parliament in the. In the, in the kingdom, so in Aruba and Curaçao as well, there is a committee for kingdom relations. However, those committees are only um, manned by party leaders or faction leaders. So as a member of parliament, I was never privy to participate in meetings of the kingdom relations committee. So I said, no, when it comes to decolonization, everyone in parliament needs to be involved. And it is something of importance when we look at the impact and the legacy of Dutch colonialism. You know, we're living in such an incredible time right now. And so for me, it was about creating that space. Then we needed to educate and we need to and inform and engage the public around these discussions because we've never discussed it as a people before. Um, and also to just look at any other measures that can take place. So Quincy, you mentioned uh, Keti Koti. I experienced that for the first time when I lived in the Netherlands in 1998. Um, thankfully, we recently created Emancipation Day as a national holiday. But this was only done, honestly, about eight years ago. So these are these are the things that we need to continue to discuss and look at and see what new measures can be put in place as we dissect what it means to be, you know, a part of this kingdom. And and uh, uh, so you have Emancipation Day now. You said in uh, on the island. Um, what does yes. that day entail? Is it a day of uh, celebration, education, all of the ab what, what kind of day is it? Has it been so far? So far, it has honestly been a day of of education. You know, there we have had um, reenactments of, let's say, the Diamond Hill Run is a is a special run. I experienced it myself uh, because the French remember that Saint Martin is um, is split into two. 
The northern side is French. The southern side is Dutch. The French emancipated their slaves almost 20 years before the Dutch. And so on Emancipation Day, we reenact a famous um, escape where slaves from the Dutch side uh, ran over to the French side uh, to be emancipated earlier. And the upcoming Emancipation Day, I hear that there will be a reenactment of an auction block, which I am looking forward to because I can't imagine. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an, a, an amazing experience. There is also a movie that was just made by a local uh, artist um, that also too will be played at the movie theater so people can go and experience uh, Emancipation Day in dance and in all sorts of different forms. Oh, wow. When when people are doing this, how, how much support in terms of funding do they get from the government? Is this is this volunteer? Is this how is this put together? So it's mixed. It's a mix of public and private partnership, government uh, sponsors. Um, there are official ceremonies in the morning. Let's say the, the, the auction block reenactment will be funded by government. And uh, the movie will be put on by, uh, you know, this private organization. So it's a mix of both public and private initiatives. And so um, one of the things that I find interesting as well is um, why did it take so long for us on the island to come up with Emancipation Day? Because, um, I mean, in Curacao, for example, there is the, the Day of the Remembering of Tula, which is like every year on the 20th of August. But how how did we how did we come to think of of that period? You know that's a great question, Quincy. And I've been trying to figure it out. Um, what why has it taken us so long? You know we have uh, we have an archives that is unmanned, uh, under not underfunded, but 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 you know so there we just don't know. Our history, it's there. We need to dissect it. We need to do everything that needs to happen around it so that we can understand. But I, I can't understand why it has taken us so long to get to this point. But at least there is movement now. Um, but there is still so much yet to uncover about our history. And I hope that, um, you know, more will be uncovered soon. I think, I think it's also commendable in terms of, you know, doing this, especially in this moment of time, when we see all of the overreach from the Dutch government towards the islands, um, can, can you give us a bit of an insight into, for example, the repercussions of the neo-colonial attitudes towards the islands on your work with the committee? Um, how has your resistance to, you know, what, what I call the power-hungry shenanigans of uh, Staatssecretaris, uh, Undersecretary Knops, taken shape and and what are ways forward from this situation so it it was quite an experience last year after you know after covid-19 um after the pandemic started and we realized that um you know we would be in desperate need every island every country would be in desperate need of of assistance once uh, the state secretary reacted in the way he did um you could have seen a clear split in at least in parliament about the, the reaction you know there were some of us that automatically went to hey this is neo-colonialistic behavior and there were some of us 
that were um, were saying, oh, no, well, this is standard, you know, um, we're in desperate need and we have to borrow monies that are not ours. Uh, the committee was one, 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 one way to resist um, because all of a sudden now we will we will have a conversation, we will have a debate, but it's a national debate. But then the petition, which has been the most controversial move yet, the petition is a way, is one way in which the MPs stood, stood up against the Dutch government and said, you know what? Holland has always been one of the champions of human rights, and yet the conditions that you have forced upon your own people are literally forcing us to surrender what we believe are not only our human rights, but our democratic rights as well. And so the petition went to the UN, a special rapporteur that said, we believe that the Netherlands is acting in a discriminatory way against citizens of the kingdom, and we would like you to investigate. That did not go down well with, with the Dutch government. Um, our people as well, you know, it was... It was an unconscionable move in, in, in many people's minds. How could we say that Holland and the Dutch government is racist? Are they really? We've never talked about racism in the kingdom before. Does it really exist? It was quite an experience. And so um, for me, I am proud to be a part wow. of the resistance so far. Yes. But I mean, how can people think that there was no resistance, uh, there was no racism in the kingdom? I mean, colonies are one of the main material outcomes of racism, right? I that that's the thing, and this is this is my perspective. One, we don't know our history enough. I think uh, it was purposely left out that we don't know our history. Like I said, there are archives there that we still need to translate. We still need to um, create create books from so we don't know our history and then i think because we are a majority black society and we've always been a majority there is a disconnect between the realities of treatment by the dutch because we don't see them physically as much but they tell us what we should be doing with our budget you know if you were minister of education and you wanted to build a new school the cft as an institution, a Dutch-run institution will say, no, I don't believe that you should build a new school, use the money for something else. But the the, the, the man on the street doesn't know that this is the, the neocolonialistic behavior of the Dutch. He doesn't connect it to them. And that is our issue. And have, and have uh, the committee or you or others been able to translate that to the... Uh, the man on the street, as you say, so that they understand the impact that the yeah the Dutch government actually has on their everyday lives. We haven't done as good of a job as I would have liked us to done. We have been sort of in um, it's it's been a, a little bit of a chaotic defensive mode, but there is supposed to be a brochure coming out. We are supposed to have a local expert panel. Um, coming up when we return in September so that persons in the community can hear from our ombudsman, uh, lawyers, local lawyers, that there is an issue in the kingdom. It is a matter of discrimination. Um, so so I, I expect that we started out a little slow, but people are beginning to see that um, there is something wrong, but we need to inform them better, definitely. 
Could you also explain for the listeners what the CFT is? They might not know what that is. The CFT is the Collège for Financier Le Toezicht. And um, they have been installed since 2010. And Curacao has their CFT. We have a CFT. Aruba now will also have a, a CFT organization. Um, and they basically, you know, they force us to manage our budget. And they also have a say on, on, on how public spending is, is done. I think people need to realize as well that these are not elected officials. So exactly. these are not the people from the island who are telling um, who are telling you what to do with your resources. And there's something extremely undemocratic in that, in that you're being held accountable for the neoliberal decisions by a management that was installed by this government in the Netherlands. Um, I think that needs to be clear as well for the listeners. No. No, yeah. And it uh, reminds me again of, oh, sorry, no, go on. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, it reminded me again of the situation in Puerto Rico because they also have this uh, um, um, body that the U.S. government chose and they call it the uh, El Junta, I think. That's not the official term, but that's what they call it. And they make decisions of what can be spent and so on. So it really sounds like they're all that they're using, I don't know which government used it first, but they're using similar tactics to undermine the work that you and other and people on the island are doing to actually improve the lives of the, the, yeah, the, the citizens. You know, it's, um, it, it, it's quite an incredible thing that happens. There's, if we go back to Hurricane Irma in 2017, uh, Dominica was also hit pretty hard and devastated and we remember that we remember that the netherlands uh gave a, a grant i can't remember the amount an incredible amount of money to dominica and why because they're an independent country and they have a say uh in the un a vote in the un and so we see the geopolitical uh you know the 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 the, the fact that Although we are a part of this huge and, 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 and supposedly amazing kingdom, we don't receive the same treatment. Now, last year, when we resisted the conditions, we also said, okay, well, then we will go on the international markets and, and try to find money elsewhere. And the Dutch government said, no, you're not allowed to forget about it. So we're really between a rock and a hard place. We can't fend for ourselves. And yet when we fight... We're told that you know how dare we how dare we stand up to to the, the Dutch government. It's like you're not allowed to defend yourself, and I think people need to understand as well is that the, the 2010 is such an important year as well. So the CFT gets installed the moment that Saint Martin becomes a country. So that already is undermining the autonomy of becoming a country in the first place. Um, and and, and see, yeah, no, sorry, no, just to. Let me and, and and so CFT is installed and next to that now to, 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 to juxtapose that next to what the people are still waiting for, the dispute regulation. 
that promise hmm. that if there is an issue that we want resolved or we, we need mediation for, with, whether it's Aruba versus Holland or St. Martin versus Holland, a dispute regulation would allow us to seek mediation from a third party. We are still waiting 11 years after the, the new status for a dispute regulation. So what does that mean? It means that it doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what resistance we give. The Dutch government has the last say and will always decide what happens in the end. Wow. And so for the for the listeners in the Netherlands, so the dispute regulations is the Geschillen Commissie. And that's something that keeps being brought up and keeps being pushed to the side. So it's it's good you, you mentioned that as well. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and, and um, I think the uh, great thing that you're here now, uh, part of it, like um, among other things, is also so that um, citizens in the Netherlands understand what's going on. I don't know if you've heard, but at the beginning I was talking about the Bonaire Human Rights uh, um, uh, Instagram page, that that was the first time that I've actually found out what the situation is. So a lot of us, and, and it's by design, we are in the Netherlands, we are kept um, ig ignorant when it comes to the islands, what's happening there. If you are not, uh, uh, if, you're, if you don't have relatives or connection, like uh, actual connection to the islands, then you don't know what's going on. So it's really great that you're able to join us so, so that people can yeah, know what's going on. Yes, you know, when I, I always I always loved um, comparative politics. So if we look at the French and the way they handle their overseas territories, you know, you walk into you walk uh, into Marigot, which is the capital of the French side, and you are really in France. So the, the pay, the, the, the wages are the same, protections are the same and so forth. But if you are in um, if you are in, in Seba or in Bonaire, it, it, it's really not the same. And that was what they thought would happen. They thought that that voting to become a municipality of the Netherlands, their quality of life would, 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 would increase. And, you know, but poverty has increased on those islands. And that makes absolutely no sense to me. Wow. Yeah. 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 I mean, there was even uh, a water shortage on St. Eustatius for a while. Where I was like, how is that possible? The Netherlands is an exporter of water technology, um, an, an, an expert. I mean, the king uh, goes all over the world and tries to sell stuff uh, in a certain way with his presence. Um, after Hurricane um, Katrina in New Orleans, the Dutch went and helped rebuild the levees and all this kind of stuff. So we know how to deal with water. And then in Citerstatius, there's a water crisis. Like, how is that possible? It makes absolutely no sense to me. You know, actually, you're speaking about Stacia and the government is actually still sidelined. The democratically elected government is still sidelined. The Dutch government took over a few years ago. And when you ask what have been, uh, you know, the developments and the progress made, barely anything. I think they paved one road. Honestly, that was it. <laughs> wow. But I mean, so one of the things, so in 2019, I came back to the island to do uh, some art um, and I made a couple of art projects with my mom. And one of the things that stuck out to me were the sculptures uh, made by Michael Maguiro. Um, yes. 
and I'm, I kept thinking about, you know, uh, the, the pandemic last year and how generations of people, um, uh, the elders among us were vulnerable and how we lost a lot of elders. Um, so how is the how is the island handling, you know, this loss of generations uh, that could tell us about the past? And are there more projects happening um, to to keep us? to keep us um, abreast of the past and what was happening and, and how we fought and how we fight still. So it's been, it's been a tough year. It has been definitely a tough year for the island. We have lost so many people. Um, honestly, in Parliament, almost every meeting, we stand for a moment of silence to remember the families that have suffered and have grieved, that are grieving now. Um, there is a movement to, like I said, uh, to um, record, record our history. Uh, we there is supposed to be a launching of the intangible cultural heritage uh, database and platform. Um, why? Because we see that not only are oral traditions disappearing but other sorts of traditions as well. So there is a movement there. I am hoping that we can see more books, more historical um, accounts of what has happened while we still have some elders alive indeed. Uh, so we just need to push, you know, there's little movement here and there, but there needs to be a bigger push. There needs to be more funding that goes into such projects like that. So I do hope to see more statues. I don't know if you saw the mural project um, that is, you know, I keep saying I want since I, I, I believe St. Martin can be the street art capital of the Caribbean and, um, you know, and, and so that we can see and color our, our country. Um, but so things are happening yeah. in little pockets, definitely. That's amazing. It's amazing. Good to hear. I think w oh, what we're yes. seeing now as well is a younger generation that is connected um, to the past and that isn't afraid to ask for help. I think for me, that's one of the most um heartwarming things of this moment is that you see people realizing like hey if we don't take care of this it's going to be gone forever yes you are so right you know i think uh our our generation definitely has the fight the ones after us are the creatives and and, and have are very opinionated the ones before us or at least the micro generation before us um they, 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 I think they struggled a little bit, you know, because in Parliament, we see a bit of a gap uh, between the, 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 the 30 year politicians, politicians that have been around for 30 years and then now my generation. That's that's a huge, huge gap. But the gap is lessening now with those coming behind us. So I think it's going to be an incredible time. And we're going to see like an explosion of art and of culture and of music. Um, because it's you know there there was a dead space I believe for quite some time. Oh, that sounds amazing, really. Um, and speaking of music, uh, there was a second uh, song that you chose, which is uh, Daya Dova, Myth of the Cave. Um, what can you tell us about that song and why it has a special meaning to you? 
It's a song that I, I, I use to, to, to really relax and to find peace. After this interview, I must say that I am going to the beach to relax. I don't know if that makes you guys feel... Hey. <laughs> feel, feel anyway. I don't mean to show off, but I am going to the beach right now. So that song... <laughs> That song helps me Your to joy relax. is our joy. Oh, wonderful. It helps me to mm. relax. She connects to the earth. So <laughs> she makes music while connecting to the earth. And I think that is so important for us to do, especially in these turbulent times. Okay. So thank, let's listen to the song. Thank, no. well, wait, we before, the song? We, before we listen to the song, okay. thank you so much for this interview. Um, thank you so much for the time that you gave us. And... Uh, yeah, we, we hope to hear more of you. If there's anything that we can do, let us know. Send it our way. Um, this was great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. It, uh, I've learned so much during this conversation. No, thank you. The pleasure is mine. I'm so honored to have been a part of this. You guys are doing incredible, incredible works. So I can still remember Quincy and, and the, the resistance uh, and, and, and Zwarte Pete and... And so I am proud of you and um, thank you for having me. And I look forward to working with you definitely in the future. Thank you. That is such a great song. Um, thanks yeah. again to Member of Parliament Solange Ludmila Duncan, who shared that song with us. Um, and also uh, who's fighting the good fight on St. Martin as the chairperson for the Committee for Constitutional Affairs and decolonization in the St. Martin Parliament. Shout out to St. Martin. So, Shout out. Um, now we come to the point of the asterisks. Yes. So, uh, what what is your asterisks? Mm, yeah, things you that know, the, make me the, go... The, mm. the things that make you go, hmm. Mm. hmm. Um, um, I'll let you go first, because I'm still... You're still like, Going. hmm, hmm, about it's so mind. heavy that you're like, hmm. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. <laughs> so the, the one I want to I wanna share with our listeners is that this week there was uh, a European top, you know, like meetings. Uh, all the prime ministers came together and the prime minister of the Netherlands, Rutte, um, he ended up saying some really harsh words for Viktor Orban, the prime minister of Hungary. And uh, in front of the journalists, he told Orban, uh, why don't you just leave the union? And um, the thing with Rutte is, on the one hand, I'm like, it's great that they're telling Viktor Orban, who is enacting horrible, horrible laws against uh, queer people, um, who is part of a, a complete erosion of democracy who made the, the University of uh, Central Europe actually move out of Hungary, um, who, who is peddling you know, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, and who literally wrote a document saying that everything he's doing is according to uh, a doctrine called the illiberal democracy. Um, it's good. That man needs to be stopped. His whole regime needs to be stopped. But then Rutte is not the one who should be leading the fight. Because uh -huh. this, these words of, if you want, you can leave, are the same words that he told Prime Minister Silveria Jacobs of St. Martin when she was here to talk about 
the, the help that the island needs and the ways in which the unequal treatment needs to be ended. Um, so this guy is a bully to those he thinks are weak. And Orban at the moment is being seen as weak and being attacked by everyone, rightfully so. But Rutte is just a bandwagon jumper because yeah. for years um, he said nothing while everybody saw what was going on. So I'm like, hmm. Mm. hmm. Well, mine actually also is connected to that in the sense that so uh, Hungary was playing against Germany and then um, in Germany, they wanted to light the, the stadium in Mönchen uh, in rainbow colors. Then UEFA was like, no, that's not happening. Um, and, and then UEFA put out a statement at some point saying, um, I'm paraphrasing, but basically what they were saying was the rainbow to us means something that is uh, inclusive. And, and then they, no matter people's religion, or uh, gender, they said, but they specifically did not mention the LGBT community. So when I saw it, I was like, hmm, so is UEFA trying to claim um, the rainbow colors from the LGBT community? What is happening here? And it's also bizarre. something, it's, it's I mean, really I mean, bizarre. What they, what they wrote, I'll, I'll, I'll quote it so that people okay, really yeah. know what's, yeah. what they said. So they said, Today, UEFA is proud to wear the colors of the rainbow. It is a symbol that embodies our core values, promoting everything that we believe in, a more just and egalitarian society, tolerant of everyone, regardless of their background, belief, gender, or sexual orientation. Some people have interpreted that UEFA's decision to turn down the city of München's request, the city of Munich's request, to illuminate the Munich Stadium in rainbow colors for a Euro 2020 match as political. On the contrary, the request itself was political, linked to the Hungarian football team's presence in the stadium for this evening's match with Germany. For UEFA, the rainbow is not a political system, hmm? but a sign <laughs> of our firm commitment to a more diverse and inclusive society. Like, what is this gobbledygook? Yeah. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And something that I, that, I, that I found that people were not understanding was people like, uh, uh, some people like, oh, they're, they, they're getting pressure from Hungary. I was like, no, UEFA is, like, is not scared of Hungary in any way. They just want their status quo of homophobia and sexism and racism, which is which they've cultivated in uh, in UEFA, they, in football world. They want that not be uh, threatened in any way, and that is what this is about. It's not about them being afraid of Hungary. Like they, no. I mean, what power does Orban have over UEFA? Nothing. Exactly. And that's just something that people sometimes don't, yeah, don't get. Um, so but that's, it's 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 yeah. bizarre as well because I mean the thing is is on the one hand they're saying that the symbol embodies their core values and then yeah. at the same time they're saying it's not a political symbol. Yeah, I mean and core values are politics. It is exactly. political. And at the so same time is... they're they're refusing it because they're saying it's political because they're saying it's a political move. So we refusing it. It does not make any sense. So perfect for a hmm, I would say. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> um, um, 
And then Let's the final segment. Let's talk yes. about like what are the things that we endorse that yeah. we think are awesome. Awesome. Yeah. The thing that I wanted to mention today um, is because also it's a special episode, the previous to the first episode, it's the first annual Black Sex Workers Conference, which took place, uh, which was all online. And it took place from June 17th until the 19th. And it was, of course, for and by uh, black sex workers, and it was it was really really great. And and um, you can you can watch it back at uh, all of it. And of course, it's important that you contribute to to their efforts because they want to do this every year. And there were roundtables. There were um, yeah a lot of amazing um, um, uh, conversations that were being had. So I wanted to shout them out and at the same time also say that it's uh, yeah it's it's really important to support them to support their efforts so that they can keep doing this. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and it was international as well. Like yeah, um it was based mostly people from the US but there were also people from other parts of the world. So it was very very international. Oh, wow, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And your qualifier? Um, qualified my my qualified um i mean if we're if we're you know this this special episode i think for me the qualified uh is the publication of the new book slavery and utrecht um that was done by uh or, or edited by nancy jauer um, together with Remco Rabe and wait, who was the last person and um, Matthijs Kuipers um, and they put together a, a pretty awesome collection of people to write about um, black presence in Utrecht, slavery in Utrecht uh, happenings and events that happen in Utrecht and it's a little bit of a, of a plug as well self-promotion, I'm one of the people in the book so I was like okay I hope I can do that, you know. For yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Quincy and Ahmed show, so yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds that sounds amazing. Now, this was awesome. Um, yeah. I think I think the listeners now get a little bit of a sense of you know what type of show this is. I hope they keep tuning in um, yeah. for our upcoming guests and uh, and the things that we do. But I think the first episode. People might need to know who we are a bit more. So yeah. for the next episode, we'll talk a bit more about us. Yeah, which will be the official first episode. Which will be the so, yeah. official first episode. Yes. yes. Thanks a lot for yes. tuning in. And let's. Uh, Thanks a lot. And shout out to the quick and the brave. Shout out. Peace. Absolutely. Peace. Absolutely. Blop, 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 blop. Shots yes. in the air. Shots in the air. <laughs>